Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television Outdoors. Dan here and Bass Edge Television is currently available on Wild TV in Canada and folks, just wait, January through next June, it's going to be right back on the Versus Network. I've got my good friend Aaron Martin here. Aaron, you having a good day? I am having a great day, you know, it's, uh, temperatures are cooling down and uh, so deer are moving and fish are biting. Well, it's, it's a good time of year, that's to say the least. Hey, we got a great podcast today. I'm kind of excited about this. We're going to be joining Western Pro Angler Jamie Cyphers, and he just came off a third-place finish at the U.S. Open, and that was out in Lake Mead, which is where, Aaron? That is in uh, Nevada, uh, dammed up by Hoover Dam. So, I mean, well, that's kind of like the best of both worlds. You go fish, and you get your 99-cent buffet at night. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I think that'll work. Hey, and then we're going to visit with Mark Klosner of Mercury Marine, and he's going to tell us about some motor choices and I understand some new changing technology. Yeah, you know, we've seen a push uh, over the years, bigger is better, you know, faster, bigger boats, bigger motors. But uh, now with, you know, $3 gas prices, there's some changes that's going on with uh, the direct injection systems, also the four-stroke. But then he's also going to go into, you know, giving us some, uh, I guess, pre-trip inspections, if you will, to make sure that the time on the water stays uh, being able to be focused on fishing and not on motor maintenance. Oh, that sounds exciting. Hey, and don't forget, we're also going to answer the listener email question and give away some great prizes to this week's lucky winner. It's all right here on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Uh Uh-oh, look here, I got one, I got one. Look here. (laughs) I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that stuff going, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Well, folks, it's time to crank this thing up. They call a podcast, and I couldn't think of a nicer way to do it than introduce you to my good friend, head pro staffer, head fishing pro, the buffet king through the Midwest, my good friend Aaron Martin. <laughs> hey, that, that, that's a pretty intense introduction there, Dan. Well, I've seen you on those mashed potato trays, man. <laughs> yeah. You are intense. Yeah. So what have you been up to? Uh, deer hunting. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that time of year, isn't it? It's that time of year. Actually, so. I had a really nice 150-160 class deer come in uh, yesterday evening and just couldn't close the deal, but that's why they call it hunting. And I took a nice doe that evening, so I got a good management hunt done for my TV show, and you know, Aaron, I, it's important to me. I, I want to show people that even though you are on TV, that you do shoot does and uh, you do proper management because it's not always about getting that big buck. Well, that's right, Dan. And, you know, and, and the same thing goes true with, with fishing. You know, a lot of times there's a lot of emphasis placed on, especially within production, you know, catching that 8- or 10-pound trophy-class fish. But realistically, you know, expectations when you go out fishing, whenever you – what makes you appreciate – uh, you know, those type of fish and those type of deer are all the times that you get to enjoy uh, the smaller things of life. And, and a lot of times those are just as fun, um, you know, as, as the big ones. Otherwise, you know, what would make a big one uh, having fun if you could catch them every day or, you know, be able to, to chase a big buck around every day? So, um, no, you're exactly right. Just the enjoyment of outdoors and the experience is, is really what, what makes, this, uh, makes this so much fun. It's the experience. You nailed it right on the head. What have you been up to? Well, you know, we are, um, I'm actually down uh, in, around the Eufaula area uh, there on, in Georgia. Uh, we've been filming all for the last two and a half weeks, and uh, 
So things are rocking and rolling. You know, uh, it's kind of interesting as as the the deer hunting and that kicks off. You know, the bass fishing gets into kind of a big swing again as well. And the fish have been biting extremely well. Have had the opportunity to meet some great people, fish with some top quality anglers. You know, and and here I guess it was just a couple of weeks ago. Had the ability to to go down on Choke Canyon uh, in Texas, and uh, I've got to tell you, you know the beauty about this job is, and which you can attest to this, is just you get to meet so many quality people. And mm-hmm. Rick from Choke Canyon Lodge, it's a brand new lodge that was um, basically just built about three months ago. And you ought to see this thing, Dan. He specifically designed it for fishermen. It has covered boat parking, you know, hookups right there, right outside your motel room. It's a phenomenal place. And then also Carol Atkinson and Charles Whitehead, which uh, are guides down there, they came by and of an evening we'd sit there under the pavilion and uh, cook up some fajitas and, and talk fishing with them. So I just want to throw a shout-out to them, and, and thanks for all their hospitality. Well, I, I, you know what? I think that's important, and you're right. That is the best thing about being in outdoors-related broadcasting is you get to meet a wide variety of different people, but 99.9% of them are just great, great people. No question. Hey, what was your favorite room at the uh, Choke Canyon Lodge, the 12-gauge or the 20? The... <laughs> Threw me a loop on that one. That's good. I got. I got to hand it to you. I, you know, it's not too often that you can stump me, but but you did get me on that one. So, um, no, it, it's it's a great place. And then speaking of, it's funny that you say that because you know, deer hunting and dove hunting is just huge down there. I mean, oh, in Texas, oh cool. my gosh. I mean, they had there were several outfitters that had um, groups coming in for. Uh, for dove hunting, and uh, man, it was really neat. And talking about, man, they can cook now. I can tell you that. Oh, I bet you. You know, that, well, I'll, that's another show. But yeah. you know what? Speaking of cooking, why don't we talk about Mike Webb? Yeah, I mean, you know, how about that? He he has had a uh, just a fantastic year. He qualified, you know, for the Heartland Trails Championship, uh, one of Bass Edge's very own pro staffers, and then uh, went on to the championship and finished second. So uh, congratulations goes out to him. And then, Dan, did you know, you know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the women's tour this year, had a few of the anglers on, and then I also had the opportunity to uh, – to do some filming with Pam Martin Wells, which was mm-hmm. the uh, classic champion of the on the women's side, but they have announced their new schedule, and um, the great news is there that the Angler of the Year points champion next year will then advance on into the Bassmasters Classic uh, event to compete against against all of the men. So some very exciting news there for for the women's tour. Well, I think that's exciting, and congratulations to all the WBT uh, members and. Go get them, ladies. It'd be neat to see a lady win that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Drought conditions in the east and uh, flooding in the west in Texas, how does that impact your fishing? Well, you know, it's it's been one of those years to where, um, you know, originally we were supposed to film on Santee Cooper and go Mm -hmm. out there, and the lake has just been, you know, they've been virtually in a 100-year drought of what they're considering, lowest uh, lake levels since they've been measuring it. But then, you know, the uh, the inverse of that is you go on down to Texas, and you know they they've had so much rain that you know the dove hunters and everybody was complaining, and the you know the lakes are all above um, you know normal stages. And what it does is, like for instance, when you have low water conditions, I personally I like that because it it really takes you know some of those bigger canyon reservoirs like Clark's Hill. Um, you know, when you drop the bottom out of that and it's lower water, it's going to position the fish uh, a little more favorably. Likewise, when you have grass and, you know, uh, contour lines and things like that, you can pinpoint uh, those high percentages areas a little bit easier. Now, you know, the opposite of that is you go down to, let's say, Amstead and Choke Canyon and, and lakes such as that, where the lakes are up, you know, that gives them a lot more surface acreage to be able to spread out on. But 
the thing is, as we've said on here numerous times, a bass is a bass is a bass. I mean, you, what you have to do is just still be able to pinpoint those uh, target areas, whether it be you know points, whether it be inside edges of grass lines, but anticipate where those fish are going to move. So um, it just makes for again for an interesting challenge when it comes to fishing, and you know that's that's really what this is about is trying to figure out the fish and uh, you know be able to do that. But bottom line is patterns really aren't that much different. It's just that you're dealing with either more or less water that that you've got to sort through. Absolutely, and you know patterning or going to different conditions in a lake is always going to be a challenge for an angler. And when we're talking about the fall of the year, you know, that what topic comes up more than any, and to my mind, it's lake turnover. And, you know, I, that's got to be a, really a different challenge for you. It is. It's very, very different. And, you know, that, again, lake turnover is, is when that bottom water column, I guess, it's really, it deals with oxygen stratification. It, it's those particles of oxygen get scattered out throughout the water table versus being concentrated at a, at a certain depth range. And as that water cools, you know, in the fall temperature, the surface starts to cool, and so you have that, that reversal that takes place. But bottom line is, you know, uh, right now we're probably, I would say, in full swing regardless of where you're at. Uh, certainly within the Midwest, and, uh, you know, some of those areas have already taken place if you go further north yet to happen uh, down in the, in the southern parts of, of the U.S. But bottom line, I really like to, when you have a bigger uh, reservoir, you know, you can really go, that, that lake will turn over in different phases. So you can, you can go to the upper ends that's already turned over, fish that, um, or you can run away from it and go down to the lower end if it hasn't happened on that. Or bottom line is just try and, um, you know, stick it out and, you know, go to the backs of the creeks to where, you know, as we've heard on here many times, that the backs of the creeks in the shallower water really aren't as impacted as much by, by the lake turnover. Yeah, the volume density, it, it, the shallower you go, the less change. Exactly. Yeah, so there's consistency there. Well, I tell you what, folks, I know that's a lot to throw at you, and we apologize for doing that, but, you know, Aaron and I, we get together, it's two guys gabbing. <laughs> that's right. But we do, we do need to take a short break, and when we come back... We're going to hear from Jamie Cyphers, and we'll also have some other great stuff right here on The Edge. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's Go-To Tackle System keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space of my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. We are back on the edge, and joining us this week representing the West Coast is pro fisherman Jamie Cyphers of Legend Boats. Jamie, hey, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure, Eric. You know, Jamie, you're just uh, recently off of what is considered to be one of the toughest events in the United States, and that is the uh, the One Bass, the U.S. Open of Bass Fishing, which uh, just recently celebrated the 25th anniversary. But, you know, that, that's a pretty grueling event. You know, it really is. It's uh, considered out west to be one of the most prestigious events in the country. It's probably the granddaddy of all events we have here in the western United States. Uh, it's an event that has catapulted some huge careers, 
uh, for guys like Gary Yamamoto and John Murray and the Aaron Martins of the sport, Ski Reese. And it's a three-day event with uh, storing temperatures at 120 degrees. It's a tough fishery. It's, uh, weather patterns can you know, launch it into six- to eight-foot rollers. So it, it sometimes becomes a survival thing out there. But it's a, definitely a great event to be a part of, and, uh, and I'm real proud to have uh, Real proud to have done well this year. Yeah, and you did. You did well. You had an opportunity to actually win it. Uh, ended up coming away with a third place, which you know is just just tremendously exceptional as far as being able to do that. But you know, you're you're right. You hit the nail on the head as far as talking about survival. And when you think of bass fishing, you don't, you don't look at it necessarily from the standpoint of of all the other conditions that play into that. Um, certainly conditions out in the West are, are a little bit different and present some unique challenges of their own. But, you know, whenever you throw those, you know, the high, high rollers as far as the waves, the temperature, plus just the stiffness of the competition, that can wear on you mentally. You know, it did. And um, the last day on stage, I think I was quoted on Bass Fan as saying, you know, I'm glad that I, I love this event. It's an event that I grew up uh, running around the docks getting Jimmy Houston and Roland Martin's autographs and watching Ricky Clun win the title twice. And so it has such a soft place in my heart to be a part of it. Uh, but at the end of the competition, I just said, you know, this is so much fun. But, man, I'm glad you only do it once a year in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, again, congratulations there. And you know you're of course you're fourteen thousand dollars richer now a little bit more than I guess about fourteen five but uh, so great great job and, and way to represent legend out there but you know one of the things you had a when we were talking earlier you brought up a funny story that you had just gotten rid of of, of your boat and uh, got your new one in and just through all the you know the chaos of trying to get ready for the tournament. Can you share that story with us? Yeah, you know, it's funny, and uh, we always talk about it, a good day of fishing, a bad day of fishing, as long as you're learning something. And um, I did learn a valuable lesson this year. Um, one of our pro staffers, Sean Bailey, who's a guy that the listeners really need to pay attention to that name because he's going to be on the FLW Tour next year. And he's a phenomenal angler, and he is a legend pro staffer. And when we came, we got ready for the FLW Series this year. He needed a boat ASAP, so we gave him my demo put him right into it. Uh, without thinking, I forgot to erase all my GPS coordinates I had on Lake Mead. So, so as it turns out, during pre-fish, I pulled into a, uh, into a bay, and I see my old boat, and I see Sean with a big grin on his face, and he looks me dead in the eye and says, you know, I knew I was going to see you here. And I said, well, how? He said, well, I'm really struggling in practice, and I noticed there were seven, eight uh, waypoints right in this area. So I started driving around looking at these waypoints to get an idea of what you fish on this lake, being that you're much more familiar with it. So after a short conversation, I let him know I was going to be fishing a ways away. And, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're on the same legend team, and we're out there working for legend boats. And uh, so I gave him a little bit of information and told him, hey, have, have at this area. I knew he was struggling. And to make a long story short, he worked his way up starting in about 80th place on day one up to about 30th place on day two. And by the third day of competition, actually bumped me out of second by less than a quarter of a pound. It cost me about another $10,000. <laughs> well, I guess it's one of those things, if, if, if that's going to happen, you certainly wouldn't want it to happen to anybody else other than Sean as part of your own team. But, you know, maybe maybe you're going to get the new nice guy vote and, and uh, over Ben Matsubu with uh, with giving up your spot. So no, that's a great lesson. You know, just just uh, it goes to show you you can't forget the little things because you get those in the wrong hands and certainly those you know those might be used against you. So well, it was it was <laughs> shouldn't happen to a nicer guy. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, transitioning uh, it, Jamie into you know the western uh, I guess side of the United States and and specifically into 
you know, the California, uh, the Nevada, you know, those areas that you fish. Set up the stage for whether it be anglers in that area that's wanting to improve their skill set or possibly anglers that are coming from the east to the Midwest that's wanting to experience what the West Coast has to offer. Can you tell us, you know, what are the similarities and what are the differences between fishing? Well, one of the similarities is um, I think for a lot of people, I've seen anglers come from out west and they show up out here and they've got five spinning rods and they have this uh, concept that the West Coast is all about split shotting and drop shotting. And uh, right now a big, a big fad that you're going to see sweep the nation is uh, wacky rigging with small jig heads on trick worms. And so there is some truth we do a lot of light line fishing because we do have lakes that you can literally sight fish in 30 feet plus so um you need to be versatile in that aspect but we also have lakes that have 20 pound largemouth and we do throw 10 inch swim baits which is another huge uh, aspect that anglers are going to find out that work everywhere i've used swim baits on lake fork i've used them on bull shoals i've used them on uh, white bluff so i mean these are areas that 100 these are baits i should say that will work in areas all over the country but for an angler coming out west um biggest difference is we use a lot of the same baits. We just probably use, in general, smaller profile baits. A lot of times our jigs, our, our spinner baits are going to be half to three or three quarter ounce spinner baits, you know, but we're using the insider heads. We're using very small profile with short arms because of the clear water. And also with the clear water, a lot of times we work those baits a lot faster. So the fish, they don't get such a great view of it because, you know, you know, in the east with the murky water, you can really slow down and roll a spinner bait and ledge busters and all that. But out west, if you slow it up too much, those fish get too much of a look at it and they just, they won't commit to the bait. So you find that a lot of times with the reaction you work a lot faster on the split side of that the smaller baits uh, the drop shotting stuff you work a lot smaller small uh, a lot slower and we do use smaller baits but so the concepts are a little different um, because we have less fish as a general out here and more pressure on many of the, uh, the better lakes um, we do use probably higher quality baits you see a lot of Japanese baits and really cutting-edge aspects very lifelike baits where when I go back east you know to me the DD 22 is just a phenomenal bait. It seems like I can catch fish on it anywhere in the country, and I can use really bright colors. And out west, that's just not the case most of the time. So whenever you say high quality, can you break that down a little bit? I mean, are we, are we talking about finish? Are we talking about hooks? Um, qualify that a little bit whenever you say higher quality. Well, you're absolutely both. Um, definitely out west, uh, the higher quality, the Gamma Katsu, the owner, the uh, VMC hooks are, are imperative for the fact that you're going to get less bites. So you really want to be able to capitalize on each and every bite. So it's so important out here to really make sure your hooks are sharp. Um, make sure that, you know, your line, your uh, your lines are retied constantly. That you're using strong fluorocarbon type lines with small diameters so the fish don't see it. Uh, things of that nature. But at the same token, the finish on the base. We use a lot of Jackal Lure Company is uh, just a company that I think is going to sweep the nation. Uh, Saji Koto is probably one of the most famous lure designers in the entire country of Japan. He's the former vice president of another great company called Lucky Craft, which I think most of the United States now exposed to the high quality finishes, the tungsten weights, and the counterbalance aspects of Lucky Craft Bait. And so we definitely use baits that are more lifelike, better finished, more realistic. And of course, you pay more for those baits. But, you know, when you're in a competition or you're just out with your family and in some of these lakes, every bite counts. It's worth it's really worth it. Sure. And, you know, one of the other things that I, I feel that the West has to offer, you know, you, you brought up about the versatility as an angler. But the West also also offers versatility from a fisherman's standpoint as far as choices, you know, being titles, you know, river systems, canyon lakes. Um, you know, you have a wide array of something that's really for everybody. 
That's very true. That's very true. Um, if you get into the Northern California lakes, like uh, Clear Lake, which is, in my opinion, is probably the most phenomenal lake on the country. I mean, they're breaking every every record in competition up there. Then you have the California Delta, which is a tidal lake. So you're fishing tides. It's tule burbs. It's a lot of frog fishing and grass mass, big punch weights, um, drop shotting with three quarter ounce on 18 pound test. You know, five five to seven inch senkos. So you're kind of power fishing those lakes. Clear Lake's the same way. It's a lot of frogs, a lot of big swim baits. You can catch a 15 pound bass on any cast out there. At the same token, if you just go up the road a little bit, you have Lake Shasta, which is spots, and now we're back to downsizing, and we're, we're using electronics uh, in 40, 50 feet of water to find the fish, and, and small jigs, and uh, and really lightweight four- and five-pound test fluorocarbon. Uh, so you have all of those factors. And then when you spread down into the Southern California lakes, you have some of these uh, trophy world record type lakes that uh, have a lot of trout in them. So now you're moving to big, giant swim baits and trout patterns. And as you progress from there to Lake Havasu. Now, once again, you've got a river system. You've got a river system in the middle of the desert that you're back to throwing frogs around Thule Berm. Uh, you have huge canyons there. And as you progress even further to Lake Powell and Lake Mead and Lake Mojave and up to Flaming Gorge and down towards, as you spread towards Elephant Butte, you have a lot of super clear, deep canyon lakes that the best thing I can tell you is a little bit of what you'll see like on a Table Rock or Lake of the Ozarks, except instead of just have you have some bluffs here and there, um, they're everywhere. You literally have 2,000 miles of just bluffs that look like uh, look like they no self-respecting bass in their life would have any part of it. Uh, there's no cover, there's no vegetation, so you literally have to change your mental aspect and start fishing for rocks and, and uh, small offshore structures that might just be just a high spot, somewhere that they'll hold or a kill zone that they're going to push the bait up into. So uh, transitioning from that, you know, how tough or easy is it for anglers from you know, the, the eastern to middle part of the U.S. to come out there and be able to adapt? You know, I think I, my, my, you hear a lot that Western anglers tend to maybe be a step above um, a step above the country, and I think a lot of that perception is the fact that the, many, of the, many of the lakes are so high-pressured and there is so many few so much fewer fish per square mile that we have to work so much harder. But I think, you know, with play, with shows like Bass Edge and with the uh, quality of the publications out there, um, I think most of the anglers around the country are really getting a feel for, for what's going on uh, and are much more educated as a whole. So I think for most anglers coming from the east to the west, they're going to be able to uh, identify what's going on, and they'll be able to find their strong points. If you're a guy that likes to Carolina rig back home and you like to go to Santee Cooper or Gunnersville, and that's what you like to do, you're going to be able to come out here and dial in and use very similar techniques here. You may just want to switch the profile of bait. The 10-inch worms on many of the lakes are not going to work. You may have to go to a small French fry or a small 3-inch lizard, things of that nature. But the actual concepts are much the same. You're just downsizing a lot of the times to kind of match the hatch of what we have for forage out here. So you're still fishing the strengths, only refining, you know, per se, within, within that particular pattern. Absolutely. You know, the old saying, a bass is a bass is a bass, and that's a lot of truth. I mean, I've seen bass cough up 15-inch uh, rattlesnakes on Lake Mead, so they're they're still aggressive. They're still as ornery as ever. They're going to kill. They're opportunistic feeders. They're going to eat what they can eat. Uh, it's just uh, it's going to take an angler from the East Coast probably a little bit of time just to adapt 
and uh, go and go to you know smaller baits and, and do a little research as you come out. Obviously, for whatever lake you choose, some of our lakes have hitch and uh, have silver side. Some of our lakes have threadfin shad. Some have none at all. It's strictly bluegill and crawdads. And so by go by going ahead a little bit ahead of time and doing a little bit of research, going to the local tackle store, maybe getting online, researching some information, listening to podcasts like this, and doing a little bit of research ahead of time to the body of water you're going to be going to. Uh, it's should make it pretty easy for a guy from the East Coast to come out and, and really pick on what's pick up what's going on out west and maximize your time out there. Certainly, absolutely, absolutely. And that's the big key, you know. This year, the U.S. Open, it's like anybody, you know. If you have confidence and you can find areas that are holding fish and have the confidence to continue to continue to throw into those areas where you know you, that there's fish live and there's a chance you get in bit, uh, you're going to do well. And and on these bigger lakes, uh, anglers are going to need to do that. When when I hit a lake that's a new body of water for me on any lake in the country, I attack it very fast. I, I I'm 100% KVD. You know, I attack it with a spinnerbait, a jerkbait, a crankbait, and I really just to cover as much water and as many different types of water as I can quickly, and then identify where what areas are holding fish, and then I try to refine that area in so that I can really dig them out. Sure. You know, and and in our last closing minutes, you brought up you know as far as how the drop shutting, which was really introduced out west and and really has taken the nation by storm. You know, you really see the next thing of that being, and we've already seen some of that is is swim baits. Can you? Give us a, a teaser as far as what is to come of how to fish swim baits and why those are so effective and how you like to apply those. Well, one thing I think that we're starting and, and people around the country are going to learn that first and foremost, uh, bass are highly aggressive, and we've all seen this our whole lives. If you throw you throw out, you know, a DD twenty two, and every once in a while you come in with a largemouth that's not much uh, bigger than that bait. So obviously, those fish, when they're excited and aggressive, are not afraid to attack something. Uh, you know, half their size or, or even close to their own size. So the swim baits, the swim baits offer an avenue to go ahead and really throw out a large bait that's going to draw up big fish. It also, it gives a very lifelike uh, profile. The bottom line is these things look real. You get them in the water and they look real. And there's different aspects of where swim baits are going to be popular. And some of those aspects are just to get fish to show themselves. Um, I've got a number of 10-inch swim baits I throw, even on Lake Mead and Lake Powell. And I don't expect to catch many fish on them, Aaron, but what I do expect is for the four and five and six pounders to come up and show themselves. And then I can go back in with a five-inch Senko or a jig and go back in and offer them something that's going to be much more effective in catching them, but it sure offers a way for, for anglers to, to get those fish to show themselves so they can catch it. Uh, the other aspect with swim baits is it allows you to cover many different water columns. You can run swim baits across the surface. You can let them sink down, much like throwing a rattle trap. It allows you to cover a lot of different water columns and even go deeper in areas than, say, a crankbait will allow you to get. So you're still throwing a reaction bait, but you're getting it down to 20, 25, 30 feet of water on long casts where a crankbait just can't reach those depths. So it's just, it's, I think it's the lifelike appearance. I think it's the ability that it's so versatile in size. There's no crankbaits out there really that are, you know, 10, 12 inches long. Um, and they work from, you know, from two inch long swim baits all the way to uh, 10 inch long. I mean, there's just so many varieties out there. And I think it's just as lakes become more and more pressured, it goes back to the finish of baits and the lifelike. And, and there's some tricks as we get into this area. I know we've got some great Western uh, pro staffers lined up for you to talk to. And there's a couple guys that are getting on, getting on, get on here with you. 
and are going to tell you guys some really neat tricks they use in the western uh, western United States and in California to to really get those ten pounders to just launch on these things. Well, and and that's what's so encouraging, you know, when you bring up as far as the diversity and the application of swim baits, you know, going from because some people I think there's a stereotype out there that swim baits all swim baits you're throwing, a, you know, basically a, a two pound sh- uh, trout, you know, into the lake. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, they come in all shapes and sizes. But the thing that I got was, you know, that you're using this for a search bait. And then if they don't hook up, that gives you the ability to come back in, you know, pick the area apart. As far as our listeners, can you just quickly point us in a direction to, you know, of of all the swim baits that are out there, where's a starting point uh, to start selecting and, and, you know, matching up baits that are applicable for the situation? Well, there's really, there's going to be three types of uh, swim baits out there. There's going to be the soft plastic body swim baits, much like the Huddleston. Uh, River to Sea has some uh, really nice swim baits out right now that are soft plastic in the three to five inch uh, length. Gary Yamamoto Base offers another five inch and uh, seven inch swim baits that are, are really solid. Those are good mid-size for most of the country. Those would be a great place for many people to start. The second type of swim bait you're going to have are going to be uh, much of the jointed, and they're going to be a two-section jointed hard bait. Uh, many of these baits start in the three to five inch. Jackal has the Mikey and the Mikey Jr., which is a great one. Um, uh, the 180 is another one, the 180 Jr. Um, these type of baits um, are going to give an action, are going to give a solid action, a clacking sound that really puts off some vibration uh, to the, in the water, and that, that effective noise will kind of uh, bring up fish from deeper distances. Um, any of those, and then the ones that I prefer, truthfully, the most are the uh, three-section baits right now. Uh, the three-section baits, like the triple trout, uh, that's a very popular one. Once again, River to Sea has a new one out that's really a hot bait. Um, the nice thing on this, uh, on the triple bait, on these uh, uh, these three-way jointed segmented type baits, uh, there's a new one coming out from True Tungsten that a friend of mine developed. It's going to be phenomenal. Him and Ishman Rowe develop it. Those baits are much more subtle, but the jointed three-piece baits look so lifelike. It's unbelievable when you put them in the water. And there's some tricks you can do with these. You can actually get a fish to paste it by learning almost kind of a walk-the-dog style. You can rip the bait and have it literally turn 180 degrees right in the fish's face. And that is something guys have been doing in California. And I'll let some of these guys from the West that are going to be coming on board discuss that more because these guys are experts in that field. But I tell you what, when you get a 5, 7, 12-pound fish pacing a bait coming up and you learn this little technique of ripping a three a three-segment bait and having it flip around and stare the fish in the eye, oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. That's just too much for a basket. <laughs> well, you've certainly increased my blood pressure, and you know, one of the unfortunate things is, Jamie, that we are out of time, but I can't thank you enough. You have certainly set the stage of, of what is to come, and really look forward to, you know, bringing the Western influence uh, to the Bass Edge experience, because, as you well know, there's so many different ways to, to catch bass, and, and certainly you guys out there have, have done just a fantastic job. But once again, thanks so much for, for being part of the and congratulations on on the U.S. Open third place finish, and, and certainly wish you the best of luck as as you pursue uh, these upcoming tournaments. Larry, well, I sure appreciate being here. I look forward to watching you guys on TV Saturday morning. Well, Aaron, I got to tell you that Jamie Cyphers he cracks me up. Yep, you know he is a just not only a great fisherman but just a great person, and uh, one of the things that you know it's it's kind of a lesson, but yet. I laugh about it even when I talk about it. And the, when he told me that story about him, you know, getting rid of his boat, and thankfully he, he, you know, sold it to to a buddy of his, but forgetting to delete his waypoints on there, and then of course at the U.S. Open they show up in the in the same vicinity. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's pretty strong, you know. 
Well, that's kind of like giving your buddy your, uh, you know, the key to your house. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, again, I, I don't want to deliberate on that too much, but thankfully it was Sean and, you know, that that, that information will not get abused. But uh, as he said, he would much rather have happened to Sean than anybody else, certainly. But, you know, I really got a lot out of his interview because the West is, is kind of its own, um, I guess, category, but yet I thought he did a great job of clarifying that, you know, you can go out to the West and really still apply the same techniques that you would um, in the other geographic areas of the United States, only just making some minor modifications, you know, with bait size and finesse and things like that. Well, you know, and you live on a clear water lake, so you know how important presentation is and the way that bait looks. Yeah, no question, and I mean, that's, that's a great point is, that I fortunately I have kind of the best of, of both worlds here to where we've got all three species. You have off offshore structure, you have the river systems and things like that. But you know, I thought his point as far as the need for higher quality baits, because what comes out of the West, you know, is normally seven to eight years in advance of what hits the Midwest or or the South or the East. And, you know, I never could understand why that they're wanting to spend all this money on these high end baits, but you know, when he brought out the point that, A, there's less fish per acre, there's a lot more pressure, and the water is a heck of a lot more clear, then all of a sudden, you know, something just clicked there. And it's like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. So um, the beauty of it is, you know, the West is extremely diverse. You know, you have the tidal systems and the rivers and the canyon lakes. But bottom line, we are going to have the opportunity to hear. We have some Western anglers, some of the top Western anglers like Jamie that will be coming on here to, I guess, really bring us full circle in the totality of our fishing arsenal of, of what to expect or how to improve your skill set if you're already out there. Absolutely. Well, anytime you're dealing with the East Coast or the West Coast, it's totally different than the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, I've been out in both, and I think the East Coast, in my humble opinion, is the worst, but as far as the different uh, conditions that you have to face. Sure, sure. You know, it's just kind of crazy. Yep. Well, I tell you what. Thanks to Jamie. That was awesome. We need to take another break, folks. When we come back, we're getting into my favorite part of the show, the product giveaway. We'll be right back right here on The Edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140. And best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keelguard. Thanks, MegaWare Keelguard. All right, welcome back to the Edge Outdoors. Dan, he's Aaron Martin, and it's our favorite part of the show, at least I can say mine. That's the product giveaway and listener email. And, you know, Aaron, it's kind of funny. Uh, since we've really been cranking these podcasts out, we're seeing a lot more activity, not only on the website, but... A lot of interaction between the TV show and uh, what we're doing on the podcast stuff. So. Definitely, you, you know, and and that's exciting. I mean, that uh, we love feedback. We love to hear from you, and you know, um, uh, we received just a, a fantastic picture uh, this week of a of an extremely nice smallmouth that was caught on the Upper Potomac. You know, and when I was up there fishing, uh, that Potomac is just it's just a, a great fishery, and it has a lot of current and and things like that, but. Uh, um, so anyway, and that kind of coincides with, with uh, the award this week, doesn't it? Uh, you know, I, I don't know how these people get so lucky because <laughs> I'm still waiting for my Aaron Martin bobblehead and coffee mug. But, yeah, I want to say congratulations to uh, Daniel from California for sending in that great picture. You're going to get the hottest tackle management system on the market. 
and that is the Cook's Go-To Tackle System, and I know you use them. Oh, definitely. I mean, you're talking about something that helps me keep my spinner baits and jigs and then also soft plastics, plus, you know, it helps save space. It go right under the lid and uh, keeps me from having a, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an organization freak, so. Kind of. <laughs> All right, getting to another organization, let's just go to our question. And this comes in from a Mr. Carpenter, also in California. What's with the avocado crowd, huh? Yeah, we, you know, that's uh, that's all good. You know? That is good. And uh, he wants to know what, Mr. Martin? He wants to know uh, the most effective presentation of swim baits. You know, he's heard that uh, very effective technique is to simply basically move the boat up wind and then you drag the bait as you drift. And uh, he really wants to know if, if that is, in our opinion, the most effective. So what I did, uh, personal experience, you know, because I'm really just starting to get into the, the whole swim bait of what I would consider uh, starting to be able to be proficient at that. But I also pulled some of our other anglers, pro staff. And, you know, one of the things about uh, swim baits is they are extremely versatile. And although they've been popular for quite some time, you know, they're again out on the West Coast, they're really just starting to catch on across the country. And I think that is going to be one bait that you will see uh, really sweep the nation as far as results just nationwide. But for throwing that three to six inch soft bait, such as, you know, one of the ones that I use is the Bass Tricks. Uh, but I like two different approaches. First, you know, is rigging the bait with the, that six or seven aught hook, uh, which is a big hook because the swim bait, again, that's a thick piece of plastic. You want to make sure that you have that hook penetration in a wide gap format. But, you know, those hooks you can buy with belly weights, say a quarter ounce or a, an eighth ounce, something like that, to where that will allow that to sink. And for this type of presentation, um, I really like throwing the swim baits that actually have the eyes on them because the hook is just going to be by itself, so it has no jig head in front of it. But once I've located, you know, that area where there are some bait fish and some bass staging, I'll make long casts and allow the bait, you know, to sink down just below really where the bait fish are staging. And the reason being is there is because normally, not always, but normally the bigger fish are waiting below uh, the, the active bait fish, as well as those active schooling fish. And so, therefore, you know, I want to try and catch, uh, catch one of those big ones. But um, the, the second choice is then pairing a non-eyed soft plastic bait and actually putting that on a blade runner head. And, and what that actually is is it's a quarter to a three-eighths ounce piece of lead that is either painted gold or silver, but it's formed into to make it look like a fish head. And then it also has a small... Uh, willow leaf blade uh, that kind of looks like a uh, spinnerbait blade, but it's it's very very tiny, probably a number two, you know. And then make casts with that just like you would with a crankbait or a spinnerbait. But regardless of the preferred method, you know, swim baits they can be fished uh, in numerous ways. You can do the drifting like like he was talking about, or just do the the fan cast and really dissect the area you know, more thoroughly, and it's a great way to locate fish. If you start getting some bites but don't necessarily hook up, you know, a lot of times those bigger fish will so show themselves. And, you know, fishing clear water reservoirs to where you can see those fish come up and hit that, you know, if they miss it, that's a great way to then go back and, you know, dissect that area more thoroughly, let's say with a, a jig or, you know, a, a soft plastic or something like that. But one last item just to remember that when actively, you know, reeling that swim bait is often – bass will come up and bump it two or three times before they actually take the bait. So as you're reeling that and making slow, deliberate, consistent retrieves, and you feel that first bump or two, and it'll come up and it'll just be kind of like a bump, and then you just continue reeling. And what happens is if you'll just wait and continue retrieving that bait normal, all of a sudden it's going to be like those suspended hard jerk baits that you do when you twitch it and then you let it set. 
all of a sudden that fish will just come up and just take it and you can just feel your line just and your your rod and reel just starting to load up and then that's when you can pull back and and that's going to you know probably put a fish in the boat so hopefully that helps him out well i think it will and you're right you know those it's amazing how fish can get soft mouth on stuff and boy it it just drives you nuts though waiting for that final load don't it (laughs) you're talking about something that is hard to do you know when you can feel or and a lot of times you can see you Mm -hmm. know those fish that are coming up and doing that and you know it's it's like when you're fishing that top water frog you know you've got to give just that slight hesitation because if you jerk it too soon you're going to jerk it out of its mouth. Yeah, it's gone. Well, hey, Mr. Carpenter, great question. Aaron, you did a great job. And, folks, you can have all that service done right here on the edge by Mr. Martin as well. Don't forget to send a question or a comment, and you will be in the weekly drawing. Simply send an email to podcast at bathedge.com with your name and address in the body of the email. We need to take our final break, and when we get back, we're going to join Mark Klosner from Merck Marine to talk about motor maintenance, as well as the changing technology we told you about in the opening in these wonderful things called outboard motors. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and in the second segment, we are joined with Mark Klosner from Mercury. Mark, thanks so much uh, for being part of The Edge today. Hey, it's great to be on the edge. I appreciate it. You know, Mark, uh, one of those important elements, especially when when running a boat and and, uh, kind of pursuing our passion of bass fishing, that is an extremely important component, and that is the drive motor. That's, you know, that's the outboard. And I think too often that is taken for granted and possibly, you know, maybe blamed for... uh, for some of our, I guess, letdowns, if you will, of when we don't get to to, to fish as much um, and having those breakdowns. So I wanted to have you on here and really help us understand, you know, not only the, the upcoming technology that's out there, kind of where the market is heading, but also just some tips and techniques on how we can make sure that our time on the water is maximized to where we get to uh, keep our lines wet as much as possible. Well, uh, you know, that, that those are really complex questions, so I'll do my best to answer them. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of which way the uh, the marketplace is heading, I think uh, that we can all agree, you know, based on what we see on the weekends, whether they be in tournaments or just out uh, weekend fishing, that the uh, movement to the what you would call the low emissions or higher efficiency engines has... Uh, definitely taken hold in the United States. Uh, that would include engines like in the DI or DFI category, like the Optimax or direct fuel injected engines, if you will, the Optimax or, you know, the other competitors that are out there that we have, the Yamahas and the E-Tex. And, and really, you know, what the DI engines afford people are the best of both worlds. They, the power curve of the old two-strokes that we all know and love, and the EFIs and carbureted engines that we used to drive, and the low emissions and high fuel efficiencies of uh, four-stroke type technologies. And for that reason, it's really why direct fuel-injected engines as a technology are the number one technology in terms of bass these days, in bass fishing, because uh, they still have that power-to-weight ratio, but they have all those great efficiencies in terms of fuel economy. And we know gas prices uh, are not going back down. I mean, $3 a gallon is, is it. 
and and I don't foresee that going down, and nor does anybody else. So, any engine technologies that are being developed now have got to take into consideration fuel economy as a, as a as a very important attribute. I mean, that's that's something that you cannot uh, skip a beat on in terms of any type of product planning. And then secondly, uh, emissions. You know, as the EPA and the California Air Resources Board, uh, emissions levels continue to uh, get, uh, I guess the levels get lower, but their standards get higher, if you will. Uh, we have to strive to find a way to keep these engines small in size, but still retain the power to weight ratio and lower the emissions levels. So from an outboard manufacturer standpoint, those things are all uh, monumental tasks, if you will. But I can tell you this, that um, you look at the rest of the boating world, and it's true, four-strokes are uh, a very dominant technology when it comes to you know fishing outside of the bass arena, with you know aluminum freshwater fishing and walleye fishing and all those things, and then in the saltwater arena as well, and offshore boats, four-stroke is really the engine technology of choice. That being said, uh, and I'm glad I'm on a bass fishing show because you know I actually am a bass fisherman, so I drive and use all this stuff every weekend, just like uh, your listeners do. And um, it's the DI technology is not going away. 